You're listening to the Insights at Work podcast, where we look at what's happening in the HR and business world, take your questions, and study the research to help HR experts move forward. It's prepared by HR experts for HR experts. Our guest today is Ron Lovett, an entrepreneur and leader with a passion for change. He builds brands that challenge and disrupt their industries and loves to do exactly the opposite of what would be expected. Ron is the founder and chief community officer of Vita Living, a TED Talk speaker, and has been recognized five times with Atlantic Business Magazine's Top 50 CEO Award. Ron also hosts the Scaling Culture podcast and is the author of the best-selling book, Outrageous Empowerment, where he shares how he transformed his one-employee business in Halifax, Nova Scotia into a leading national security company with over 1,500 frontline staff. Today, Ron and Jeff will discuss the techniques you can employ to turn disgruntled employees into passionate stakeholders and learn firsthand how to continue building your incredible high-performing culture. So let's dive in. Welcome to the Insights at Work podcast. Today, I'm joined by Ron Lovett. Ron, you've gone from breaking up brawls at nightclubs to providing personal protection to some of the world's biggest A-list celebrities. And now you're breaking new ground in the HR world with not just your podcast, Scaling Culture, but your book, Outrageous Empowerment. Ron, welcome to the Insights at Work podcast. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me. I was excited to uh, be a part of this, so thanks for having me. Well, Ron, I know how busy you are, and I really appreciate you calling in all the way from beautiful Halifax, Nova Scotia, one of my favorite towns. Now, you've got this amazing history of leading companies with innovative cultures where employees really lean in to changing the status quo. And I know that our listeners, they want to know how you've done it. So let's just get right into things. What do you, where do you want to start, Jeff? You lead. What do you want? Well, Ron, let's start with one of my favorite takeaways from your podcast. It's what I like to call the Ron Lovett Dr. House moment. You know the part when Dr. House identifies that the patient's condition was caused by the housekeeper's use of some natural cleaning product or a recent dog bite? It's his iconic aha moment. And it's a question you always ask your podcast guests. Ron, what's been your aha moment as a people leader? You're you're using my own question against me, Jeff. There we go. So... You know, it's interesting. Um, I'm trying to think of my biggest aha moment. I, I think that for me, you know, because there's a ton, like I would have all these different ones in different sectors, but but the biggest one was, was, and I don't know why this happens to me, but it's when I'm at my lowest points. And so when it comes to culture, I just, I was building this business. You know, you, you would not want to be my friend. My phone rang 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And, you know, I think when you start a company, you're an expert at something, or at least you think you are. And for me, it was security. I could talk to people and, and uh, had a way about that and and could handle myself because we started in the nightclub sector. And and I think you pride yourself in being an expert, but then that, that, that actually works against you because you move to a place that says, oh, Jeff, you're the employee, but you come to me, I'm the expert. And then you times that by 10. And now, I'm back to what I talked about. I have no life. My phone's ringing 24 hours a day. People come to my office all day. And I've actually created the problem. And so I think my first aha moment was, I I don't like this. I thought I would love 
running a business because there is this pivotal moment for, for leaders, entrepreneurs uh, and founders that get to this moment of, of, of um, crossroads that say, you know what, maybe I should just go back to when it was just me, you, Jeff, and one other person and Sarah, and it was a lot easier. There was less questions, but they, they miss the fact that, you know, building culture and, and leadership can fix these things. And I think my first aha moment was just like, wow, is this, is this what it's supposed to be? Because I don't know if I like being a business leader. And if I don't figure out a new way, then maybe the new path is to go get a job and not be a leader. Maybe I, this isn't what I signed up for, but it's because you don't know what you don't know. And you don't know that there's another way to do it, which is empowering people and guiding them to make the right decisions. I mean, there's this famous quote, if you don't mind, I'm rambling here, but no, go ahead. John Risley has been a mentor, friend of mine. He's incredible, a very successful business person from the East Coast. Has built some phenomenal companies and continues to do so. He just bought a space company, a public. And John said one time, none of us, none of us will build incredible businesses. We'll lead incredible people who will build incredible businesses. And, and, and you know, it's those comments that you just say, okay, that is right. That is absolutely right. Because if you think as a leader, it's you, you are mistaken. Your, your phone's going to ring 24 hours a day and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, today I know that that's not the case. I don't have an office anymore. I don't have three cell phones anymore. Things are very different. And even as the company scaled, they they started to change. But that was my aha moment. Ron, what an aha moment. I mean, it sounds like in that case, being a resource to your team was a bit of a double-edged sword. I mean, after all, your staff knew they could turn to you because you had this history of being in the trenches, facing those tough customers in the nightclubs night after night. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think that I, I certainly built a business being compassionate and empathetic to our frontline staff. And as well as just saying, well, well, you know, why don't I, you know, we're treating customers like customers, but why don't we treat them like customers? Because then you change things. Then you really double down. Then you want to build relationships. And we're doing that in our business Vita Living. We, we, you know, we're in the affordable housing sector and, and we don't look at, 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 tenants as tenants, we look at them as customers. So I'm following the same play, but that that certainly was was helpful. Ron, talking about Vita Living, what are some of those key people and process learnings that you've been able to bring from the old company, Source Security, to this new business, Vita Living? And what's the response been from a totally different type of employee? Oh man, there's there's so many, Jeff. I mean, you know, so you know, I think you know based on our previous conversation, you read the book. I mean, outrageous empowerment is about uh, tapping into untapped potential of the security guards. The, the security guard from India that was a better accountant than what I had in my office, but was here in Canada pressing buttons at a, at a, at a construction site or writing reports. Like what a waste of his or her time. Absolutely. And, right. And so Vita, I was following the same play three years ago when I got into this business. It was, well, no, they're not employees for the most part. These are tenants slash customers. How do we tap into them? Why can't we do that and get them involved in their communities? And geez, I'm just trying to think of a key highlight. I mean, our so we have a decentralized model. So every building has a building ambassador and we provide that decision-making process for them and we get out of their way and, and we guide them. But we, we've got so many stories, but, but one in particular, um, there's a gal by the name of Kyla who, who works in Halifax and she had talk to her uh, customers in the building. And, and one of the challenges was people were complaining uh, 
that children were running up and down the hall. These are all wood frame buildings. It's kind of loud. It was annoying people. So what did she do? She went, canvassed the local community, being the local building, and the buildings outside for children's uh, toys and, and things, and put them in a community area. So that was the kids' play area. So you talk about solve a problem, right, for the customer who's annoyed yes. you're running around and solve a problem for children who are looking for a place to play. I mean, it's things like that that I am so proud of because I wouldn't have thought of that. I'm not there. I, that is not my lane. But if you empower folks to add value to your business, you win. And I think that's a great example. And by the way, there are tons of examples, not just at someone who you know, quasi works for the business because she works full time as a child care worker. Um, but we have tenants that participate and, and do things as well. And, 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 and those are proud moments that, yes, like any business, there's ups and downs. It's not all rainbows and unicorns. But I always say when we have a, a dark or a low moment, I just focus on those things that have happened and will continue to happen. Ron, Kyla sounds like a rock star. Now, in your book, Outrageous Empowerment, I loved reading about your straightforward approach to creating an army of Kylas, an army of rock stars, which you thought a company could do with every employee, as long as that employee knew exactly what was expected of them. Now, this process started from the job description through onboarding, and it resulted in a laser-focused team that could consistently knock it out of the park. So, Ron, can you fill us in on how you set your frontline staff up to achieve this. Yeah, yeah, sure. And, and there's a, you know, there's a, I'm gonna talk about this at a high level, right? Because it starts with go to market. But even before you go to market, uh, I read Francis Frey's book years ago, and I talk about this in in in, in our book, um, Outrageous Empowerment, which is Uncommon Service. I don't know if you've read that, it's an incredible book. And it just talks about, you know, businesses understanding what they're really good at and what they're not good at and not not kind of trying to get five out of 10 on everything, but go 10 out of 10 on what's important to the customer and be okay to be zero out of 10 on what you are, what you suck at. And that was an aha moment for me. Another one, because, you know, they say, here's what you know, here's what you don't know. In the biggest circles, here's what you don't know, what you don't know. And so that set me on a path to go talk to customers. And I go talk to customers and and would sit in front of them and say, what's important to you? Like, let me figure out what, you know, what, and you, I know you're a core customer, you're Cadillac Fairview, you're Nova Scotia Community College. What What is really important to you and what's not important? And through that, long story short, was it was customer service, not how we serviced you, but typically if you own a shopping center or something, is how we serviced your customer and your customer's customer. The, 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 you know, at a retail place, you've got the, the business that rents and then their customers. Sure. So, so when we looked at that, we, we actually drew on a board and said, where do we fit? Where do we think we win here? And, you know, because we, we were small to medium, but you've got major companies and, and mom pops. We're middle of the road at this point. And if we we're being honest with ourselves, if, if, if five was the best customer service, we thought we were three and the competitors were two and a half to two. But that's not enough, right? That isn't enough to really to be aggressive, but crush the competition. And to make, you know, to, to, to make things be a differentiator in the space. So right. we said, and you'll remember this part of the book is who's the best at doing that? Who's got the same kind of, you know, same wage level, frontline workers and who crushes it? And it's Starbucks. And so then you'll see I became obsessed. How do we beat Starbucks? Starbucks is our competitor, not mom, pop 
or the big multinational companies. So how do we beat Starbucks? So I'm going to sit in Starbucks. I'm going to meet their managers, their employees. I'm going to find out everything I can. And that's our competitor. And so becoming obsessive about that really drew me to, I'm coming kind of full circle here, but, you know, so, so if our customers to drive great customer service, you need to be empathetic. You should be that, that, that should be a, a trait that you have without empathy and it becomes tough to, to understand where someone's coming from. So then what we said is, okay, if our customer service want, if our customers are looking for great customer service and that's driven through empathy, then we need to screen individuals for empathy. Without that, we're wasting some time here because that's the most critical thing for our customers. But I'm gonna to go to go-to-market first. And, and there's a few different strategies, right? One, we talked to those who we knew were empathetic and we'd say, Hey, Jeff, you know, you align very well with what we're looking for. Where do you hang out uh, in the community? Where do you hang out online? Let's talk about those things. And, and, and can you help us, you know, especially if you were a happy employee, can you help us recruit, right? That was one thing. Two is, is the go-to-market strategy is, has changed. The job description's dead. You must be, have these qualifications. Here's some, something about my company and you must have these qualifications. That's, that's dead. You know, if you follow me on LinkedIn, You'll see an ad we just put up for a navigator role for Vita Living. And it'll say, here's who we are. Here's what we bring to the table. Here's what we offer you. I mean, we are basically saying, you, you know, here's what we do for you. Here's the skills that we'll provide you. Here's the, what the team atmosphere is going to look like. And then we'll get to, if you check these boxes, you should apply. You're a very good fit. And so from there, yes, now we get into the interview. And We'll do a few things, you know, back, you know, this changes based on the role, but essentially we'll screen typically for the skills. Can you do the job? That's important. And then culture. And from there we onboard. And if you remember my story, I mean, in onboarding, we used a, a learning management system, which we use today. And I held a Starbucks coffee in my onboarding with all of our staff. And I would say, this is our competitor and here's why and really talk about the why and what's in it for them and how do they participate in our, what are our values? How do they participate? Our purpose? How did the company start? Where's it heading? And how do they participate in all of that? And then last, that's the third bucket. And the fourth would be continuing to do really two things at a high level. When someone lives your values, values or align, does something that, that really does something that connects to your purpose, you stop everything and you celebrate, oh my goodness, Jeff did this thing and we just want to celebrate this. Um, that is very important. When things don't align, when Jeff steps offside, that is one-on-one -on -one coaching. We just sit down and say, hey Jeff, it's not me versus you anymore. Our values state that taking responsibility is key. And what you did yesterday is point the finger at Sarah. Why did you do that? Look, the values are crystal clear. And those are, you know, there's a ton of other things, but those at a high level, is what allowed us to build and sustain culture. Ron, when you're building a company where innovation is so important, how do you recruit for that attribute? Yeah, so we kind of do like that empathy thing. There's no absolute playbook for this, but in a nutshell, once you figure about the attribute, so let's say that you want to, this role needs innovation, right? And arguably there's, there's, that's in our culture, so that is going to be part of this navigation role. So then you go to the attribute of curiosity. And so how do you screen for curiosity? Well, it's, it, and I always say this, I was having a conversation with someone from our team the other day, and you have to be careful when you screen for attributes when in the work sense. And the reason I say that is because 
if I'm now going to screen you for how innovative you were at ADP, and I'm just using this example, but ADP's culture doesn't allow you to innovate, then it's not right. It's not fair. So we do 75-25. And how we'll usually do that, say, Jeff, what was your level? Tell us about ADP. Do they drive innovation? What's your level of autonomy? Where can you get creative? And we'll know through that answer if the bar is so low that we're, we're not going to ask that anymore. If it's high, tell us what you've done. We want to hear from your experience. But more importantly, what do you do in your personal life when, you, when you're curious? What's the last thing you're curious about? Uh, and how did you scratch that itch? And tell me another time. And tell me another time. So we're digging for curiosity and how you, how you deal with that. Your personal life is the authentic you. And that will reflect what you'll probably do at work if given the opportunity. And so we break it down from an attribute standpoint. Okay, Ron. So you've got this team of security guards who you're telling to forget about the old ways and to think of themselves as baristas. Well, not baristas, but people whose purpose is to deliver an unsurpassed customer service experience. So for the first time ever, these frontline security guards had been recruited because you recognized a high level of empathy in them. And you're now asking them to buy into a very different corporate culture than any other security company in the world. Ron, let's talk about some of the radical changes you implemented. Now, the first one being to eliminate the policy handbook. Ron, what was the reaction by your HR team and your senior leaders when you decided to do this? Yeah, and I think I tell the story. I mean, we at the time we had an HR leader, great guy, very intelligent, but came from a billion dollar business. And he sat me down and said, Ron, you'll never scale this company without updating the policies and procedures. And I said, well, what does that look like? And he said, well, they're outdated. We're going to need a team of six for six months, you know, quarter million bucks just to get this done. And then we have to update them all the time and continue to update them and blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm shaking my head. I'm just, I had been to a conference and I was kind of mashing two theories together. Um, and I just wanted to, you know, the, 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 uh, the subtitle of the book is giving people their brains back. Right. And, and it wasn't meant to mean that they didn't have brains, but the industry didn't allow them to use their brains and I wanted to give them back. And so I was saying, I think we should run a decision-making process. And so, you know, very funny. I had everybody come into the office. And we had a vote who thinks that we should update policies, and procedures, and who thinks that we should give everyone a decision-making process that I, in my mind, thought we could scale that, you know, and the decision-making process for me was if you're going to do something that's outside of the regular job that you'd have to check the policy manual for, ask yourself three questions. Is it the right thing for the customer? Yes or no. Is it the right thing for our business based on our purpose of changing the industry and values? And are you willing to be accountable for your decision? If it's yes, 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 don't ask anybody. Just move. Do it quick. Just do it. Do not collect $200. Do not pass go. Just do it. Do it. And so I presented that. And, and of course, finance and HR said, out to lunch. You are out to lunch and you're going to sink the ship. Sales and a few other folks said, ah, I kind of like this. It's different. Let's, you know, we, maybe we should do that. I, I kind of agree. So we were stuck. It was four, four. There was only eight of us. And I said, well, this is part of what you're talking about is transitioning employees to passionate stakeholders and, and, and stakeholders a key thing because they weren't shareholders. I was a sole shareholder from start to finish. And I said, well, we're at a gridlock. So let's let our people decide. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm going to call the field and ask what they think. 
They'll tell us because they're the ones who have to live by this anyways. And everyone's like, oh my God, here he goes. The $12 an hour security guard is going to decide the fate of the business when I work for a billion dollar business, right? And I love that. It's just, and so I call Suma So, I call some, some uh, security guards that have worked for big corps and worked for us and, and ask them the question. I don't, and I said, I don't want to sway you, but here's two case studies. Where do we go and why? And it was so obvious. They said, Ron, when emergency happens, nobody knows what to do. They don't use their brains. They're terrified that they're not following policy. And if they check the policy book, which they signed a year ago and it's dusty and they don't even know where it is, they don't know where the information is. And they've lost time to respond to the situation. They've lost time. They've lost, you know, value for the customer, et cetera. And they don't learn. What do, they don't learn because rules, which is the policies and procedures, we say are made for children. If you want your employees to act like children, then increase the policies and procedures. So it was, it just made sense. And we, we, we threw it away. Now, our customers, a hospital had policies and procedures. So we had to follow that stuff. I, I, I thought it was extra confusing to layer our own. And so we got rid of it. It was done. We burned the whole book. Burn, baby, burn. Now, it sounds like in your journey to reduce bureaucracy, you decided to get rid of a process, well, that most of us don't see a ton of value in anyway, and that's the annual performance review. At ADP, we've done away with the annual performance review, and we replaced it with weekly check-ins with our managers, and it's turned out great. Now, your annual performance review was replaced with two questions that were posed to the manager. Number one, would you be excited to rehire that person based on what you know about them today? And number two, who's on your bench? So, Ron, Tell me about how this affected internal processes. How did it affect your hiring practices and nurturing that up and coming talent? Yeah, you know, I, I really, because typical companies attach financial bonuses to the performance review. And I'll tell you this, um, I have lots of entrepreneur friends today that are still going down that path. And I'm not suggesting you do or don't, by the way, these are my experiences. My experience was that when I tried to have the complex uh, formula of how bonus worked on the business today, it didn't work for tomorrow. It was too confusing. You were confused. I was confused. We got to the performance review, which everybody avoided. You come, and I'm you know, pretending you're the employee here. You come, you're anxious. You've calculated differently than me. It's a disaster. And so I always, most of the systems and process we implement, I call it skipping the line. How do you get rid of it? How do you hack it so you don't even have to deal with it? That's and good. So skipping the line. Skip I'm going to have to steal that. Take it. Take it. It's yours, Jeff. Skip the line and take it. And so in this case, skipping the line was, let's get rid of it. Let's, you know, sports teams manage better than most companies. And the, and I always say to people, hey, did your coach or your trainer, did they did they wait till the end of the season, halfway through the season, quarter way through the season and tell you where you should adjust what you're doing well and not? Well, no way. It was in the moment. And we wanted to adapt that philosophy. And then we tagged the financial piece to that being two things. Let's be transparent. People know when we're making money or not making money. That's important. Transparency. You can't ask people to be a stakeholder if you're going to hold back information. That's my belief. <clears throat> so the next piece was let's let's do ad hoc. Let's let's tell people, hey, when we're profitable and you did something that aligns with your goals that meet the company goals that we that you we've co-created, um, when you do something that aligns with our values, you hit home runs like we're talking about, we'll pay you a bonus. And that keeps everybody on their toes. It's worked quite well. And, and we've adapted that in our business today. And we talk about that 
you know, we just hired a construction manager in security, or sorry, in the, for Vita, uh, a, a, a um, implementer and, and a asset integrator construction project manager. And we talked about that. And he said, I've never heard of that before, but I like it. It makes sense. And then we're all on an equal playing field. We get it, right? And um, yeah, it's worked very well. Now, on the topic of things working well, in your book, Outrageous Empowerment, the theme of death by a thousand paper cuts comes up often. Now, this refers to the gradual buildup of annoyances in the workplace that over time breaks down someone's overall drive and their commitment to work. Now, it seemed that at Source Security, you try to combat this by outsourcing team member tasks that they didn't enjoy doing. Now, you called it task mapping. Tell me more about how you were able to leverage their strengths and minimize their loaths. Yeah, <clears throat> that's, a, that's a great topic. We continue to do that today because, you know, if I rewind a little bit, I think that it took me a little while, you know, these aha culture moments, you know, reading so that another, you know, it's in the book, but the Southwest Airlines reading nuts and that conversation with that young man at the counter about how he loved the culture. That was also an aha moment. Ron, I love that story and I've heard it on the podcast, but our listeners probably haven't. Can you share that story with the listeners? I didn't know Southwest and I just happened to be flying by, flying uh, through New York, coming from Florida. I see, a, I see a young man at the counter. I put the book behind my back and I walk up and I said, I have a question for you. He said, yes, sir. What would, what would you like to know? And I said, do you like the company you work for? And he just kind of looks at me like a confused dog. And he says, sorry, what do you mean? I said, do you like the company? I get more aggressive. Do you like the company you work for, Southwest Airlines? He goes, sir, I want to be very clear to you. This is the best goddamn company to work for on the planet. And I was like, I just threw the book in the air. I'm like, I'm done. This is over. I'm just, I have work to do. I have work to do. So that was an aha moment. So, um, but, but, but as far as what you're talking about task map, because once I got culture right, and this was, you know, they always say, once you get to the top of the mountain, and then sometimes you, you think you made it, and then you're like, oh my goodness, there's this other mountain. I'm, just, I'm not even halfway up. That kind of happened to me, Jeff, because, um, and there was this, this, this story about Carolyn Dawson in, uh, in the book, which was, she was in finance, and she was looking to leave the business. And I couldn't believe it, because she was an A player. We would be excited to rehire her for the job. And... Um, you know, I, I I thought, wow, if we're getting the culture right and the purpose right, maybe this doesn't work. Well, you're taking it personally. It was a big shot to my ego. You know, I was like, wow, I've worked so hard. It's, you know, I believed in this. It was a shot at my belief system too. And so I talked to her and she said, I love the company. I love the purpose. I love everything. I love the team, but I don't love what I do every day. And I was like, oh my goodness, we are only halfway there. And so that's what you're talking about. I believe to get that's this death by a thousand cuts. If you, if you, you know, Marcus Buckingham and Ashley Good all talk about it in the nine lines about work. If you, if you, you know, if, if you join Google because you love the brand and you don't love your team, your leader, what you do every day, it's death by a thousand cuts that, 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 that wears off. Right. And so we had to fix that. We did that through what we call task mapping, which was connecting people's skills and passions with company needs. You do that, you win. And so luckily for her, we had options for that. We had others that there was no options. We had to say, this isn't the place for you. You, you. you might love this company, but you don't love what you do. And the things that you love to do, we don't have placement for. We'll help you find that. Let's use our Rolodex, our relationships, and let's let's find you a new home. And so in this case, um, you know, task mapping is about 
the, the, the functions, the daily routine items that people do that either drain or give them energy. And you want someone to be at 75% gives energy. There's going to be things that drain their energy. But for the most part, what we try to do and continue to do is move those things to other people where maybe it gives them energy. And if we can't find that at the company level, we'll move that outside. Now, for most companies, outside means I'm going to outsource to India or a part-time student or whatever that looks like. For us in the past business, that was security guards. And for us today, that's Vita Living. We do that with the community. We will send these small tasks that drain people's energy, like a, a company newsletter to an individual named Robert, who lives uh, is one of our tenants and customers here uh, in Halifax. And he does that newsletter for us, edits videos for us. We don't have a full-time role for that. And he makes money and is connected to the brand and the business. And so, it's win-win and that aligns with his individual skill sets. And that's his passion. That's Robert's passion. Absolutely. Absolutely. You just mentioned something that really stuck with me throughout the book and it's pretty unorthodox. You mentioned that when things might not be optimal for you or the employee, you'll get your Rolodex out and you're going to help them find the right place to work where they can be their best. Ron, how often did that happen and how did it work out? Yeah, so I will say that it worked out every time. And when I say worked out, by the way, I just want to, yeah, I'll, I'll explain that by, I've never, and knock on wood, I've never had any legal lawsuit. I've never had anyone go to their lawyer and say, I was treated unfairly, I want to sue Ron Levitt or whatever company and brand I work for. Never, because it's a compassionate human being approach. It's not a policy approach. It's not a, Jeff, we've got this file on you and now we've got too much. And, and that's changed, by the way. And what I mean by that is now we have that up front. That is part of the hiring process. Hey, Jeff, let's just be honest. This may not work. This has to work for you and for us. Absolutely. And, and, and so if at some point in during the onboarding, let's do a 30, 60, 90 day check in, a six month check in. And let's ensure that 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 is working for all the various reasons we, we got together and 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 and, and started to co-work together. Anyhow, um, let's ensure that that makes sense. Otherwise. It's okay. Like, I want you to know, Jeff, to, when you join here, there is no pressure if things don't work out. There's no pressure if you want to move on to something else. And so we take, we pull that elephant in the room. And then what you read about in the book is if, if, if something happens, you know, um, you're not performing anymore. And I think we pivoted, especially based on the pandemic. It used to be, Jeff, look, you know, and I always start, and this isn't in the book, but those tough conversations start with the intention the outcome and how I want that person to experience me. And so the intention, if your intentions are good and the intentions are for you to, to, to better you as an individual, then I usually have a green light to talk about the outcomes. And so what I mean by that is you're the salesperson, Jeff, and you're, you're really struggling. And I sit you down and I say, Jeff, the intention of this conversation is that you become the best salesperson that you could be better than I ever was. So if I say that to you, you're like, oh, wow, give it to me. What do you got? Yeah, thanks. You care about me. And so from there, we'll talk about your follow-up with customers and the outcomes are in my conversation, which I prepared for to talk about some of the places where I think you might be challenged, et cetera. And so we'll talk about those. I said, Jeff, I noticed that you're, you're not calling customers back or servicing the customers. How can I help you? I'm back to how do I help you? Right. Sorry, but how do I support you? Do, we, do you need more training? What can I do for you? Is everything okay at home? You know, and that's where things I was mentioning about the pandemic is, is how are you doing, Jeff? And I usually start there, by the way, because maybe this has nothing to do with work. And we have to start looking at people as a whole individual, not just Jeff at work. 
Sorry, I'm picking on you a lot here, Jeff, right? And, <laughs> and so, so, so from there, the experience is very important because we can, we all have that a-hole in us, right? We just do, we all have egos. But if you mark down how you want that person to experience you, it will be someone who's compassionate, who listens, who takes their time, who's understanding, who's, who's empathetic. And if you prepare in advance and say, how would I want Jeff to talk about me in his next conversation when they said, how did that chat with Ron Lovett go? Those are the things I would want him or her to say. And so the end of that conversation is, okay, Jeff, so I got it. I'm glad that you've, you've shared that with me and that we're aligned. So, so play that back to me, by the way. Let's make sure we're on the same page of, of what this conversation looks like. So we're not, you know, it's not write me a report, but let's just have a conversation about that. So, um, you know, you're going to do ABC, you've committed to that, but let, let's go down the path of what if it doesn't work? Jeff, I think it makes sense that let's do a 30-day check-in, but, but if at 30 days this hasn't adjusted, let, are you okay? Let's agree that we'll part ways. And when I say part ways, Jeff, we'll need time to find someone and you're going to need time to find a new home. So let's, let's, let's put some time frames in that, that at the 60-day mark, at 30, it's not working, let's break up in 60 days. So you, this is a huge elephant. People are like, oh my goodness, what are you talking about? Well, that's the play. And I'll tell and you- And then they, do, they turn the, do they turn the ship around in the 60 days? You know, I, I, I don't have data around this. And sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's time to move on, right? Sometimes it's, sometimes it's a breath of fresh air. And you know, this the last conversation that I had with someone who 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 didn't turn the ship around. And I and I gave them the choice. And because it's it's giving someone the autonomy, right? Because Jeff, you know, you're making the choice. If you can't hit ABC, then you're making the choice to leave. Like, let's be clear here. But I always the question I asked in, in this last conversation was, you know, Jeff, because I could tell this person was, geez, I don't know where I want to do it. There's a lot of pressure, and I've got other things pulling on me. So the question was. If the if you were done today, would that be a, would that be a, a weight off your chest? Wow! If you were done today, would that be a weight off your chest? That's really putting the ball in their court. And this person took a minute to answer that, and I knew the answer, so I knew what the path, the right path for them was. And when I say, "Look, there's things that you've done very well here," and I'm happy to open our contacts, do introductions, and speak to the things that you do well, people are very appreciative. No one's looking to build, you know, burn bridges for the most part. And so that approach has worked very well. It's very unorthodox. There, I don't, I've never, I don't have one note on anybody, by the way. And I know some people are looking at, oh, that's so wrong, so bad. Well, prove me wrong because my experience has, has said it's worked. It's it's tough to scale that, I, I, my experience is that loses, uh, you know, um, traction as we scale. And I get that. I understand that. But for me, that's what I've done. It sounds like you are in an industry where hourly workers are used to being under constant scrutiny and where mistakes are documented or employees get written up when they're not adhering to policy. Now, this approach sounds like it worked when you were able to work on them one-on-one. -on -one. But I bet the HR team were just pulling their hair out. Correct. But there's a process, right? The process, we can, we can still build process. What I just talked to you about was a process. I could train you in that process. If you follow that process, it's been quite well. And, and by the way, I, I want to be clear. So, you know, uh, HR would push back and say, fine, we're going to balance this, Ron. We're going to follow your process, but we'll at least document what we talked about, what the outcomes were. You don't like to document things. You're a bit crazy. We're going to just write a couple notes if you're okay, or we'll just do it and not tell you. Great. Fine. 
Ron, it was imperative for your frontline staff, regardless of where they were in the country, to be able to easily communicate what source security was trying to do. So if a prospect was touring a site with you and they asked one of the guards, hey, why should we do business with you? Everyone could communicate the same reasons why. Ron, do you have any tips for those HR professionals listening today how they can easily convey to their staff the purpose of what their company is trying to achieve? Yeah, I think you keep it simple and powerful, right? And, and what, is, what I mean by that is, is they would restate the purpose. And so our purpose was to change the private security industry. That's simple. It's powerful. Because it's your purpose, in my experience, should be a conversation starter. Because the next question is, what are you talking about? Tell me, how do you do that? Great. Now I get to bring you along this journey with me. The purpose at Vita Living is revolutionize affordable communities. What do you mean? Tell me more, Ron. What do, what, how do you do that? Right? And so that simple, powerful, makes the hair stand up on your neck, makes you curious. It needs to check those boxes. And you're right. When, when um, the company acquired me from California, Allied Universal, they toured our sites and they thought it was a setup. They were like, how was this guy in the boardroom spewing off his purpose values? And we go to the site and they're saying the same thing. We've never seen, we don't even have a purpose or maybe they do. I don't know. But there, there is such a disconnect between front lines and the boardroom. And we bridge that gap. And by keeping things simple, and by the way, that individual was hired on that, trained on that, sorry, onboarded, continuously, uh, you know, reminded of the purpose. And so that is ongoing. So everyone in the company knew you were trying to do something different. And what I thought was super interesting in the book was that you mentioned if people approached you with a new idea, you'd ask them, hey, is anyone else in the industry doing this? And if they said yes, you tell them, go back, rework the idea, and come to me with something completely unseen in our industry. That's right. Yeah, we, we did the same thing with suppliers. Suppliers would say, Ron, we have this new onboarding, you know, paperwork that the, the G4S, which is $8 billion uses. And I'd say, great, I can't use it. Oh, what do you mean? Because the industry already used it. That, that, is, that is not going to drive me. That, that is the opposite of our purpose, which is change the private security industry. If I want to change. And so think of that, that pressure to innovate, right? It worked very well. We do the same thing now. If we hire a plumbing company, it's what technology do you help us to revolutionize affordable communities? Maybe it's something to keep costs low, um, you know, to move faster, to help the customer. What are you doing? And so we continue to do that internally and externally. Always innovating. Love it. All right. Let's talk about Ron the Podcaster. You've got a successful podcast called Scaling Culture. It's great. I love listening to it. Ron, what's that one podcast interview question that you really love asking and why? Well, I mean, you asked it to me. I love the aha moment. I just, that's a pivotal moment and it drives curiosity. And I think it tells you a lot about someone's journey. So I certainly love to ask that question. Um, and, and the podcast has been great. I mean, it, 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 it does a few things. I think, um, you know, externally, it drives some great content from, from folks that maybe we haven't heard from before, have access to. I love that. And, and of course, as you heard, the intention is to, to not just theory, but the how-to. I want to write things down or as I'm listening, and, and that's what we're trying to achieve. Selfishly, 
I've made such great relationships and I've learned to be a better listener. I've learned to be a better listener, which is a skill that can do any of us good. And for me, a, 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 a world of good. Um, and I've learned ton, a ton. So, you know, we've got the, the book and masterclass coming out called Scaling Culture. That'll drop in about 90 days, which is more the playbook. It's the how-to. Get the marker out, and, uh, highlighter, and, and the masterclass, which, which goes along with the, the, the chapters. And so, so we've taken a lot of the content. Now I'm, I'm so excited because it's not just my story, right? And things that we've done as a company, which I'm extremely proud of, but we've learned not only put those things in this masterclass and book, but right away, apply them like right away. There's no, like I get off the podcast and I debrief with my assistant. I'm like, we are doing this now. We're doing like, that is incredible move, you know, like, and so I'm so thankful to have a business that I can play with and play is probably the wrong word, but implement these great ideas and strategies that are working for other companies. It's been incredible. Ron, I always take away so much from your podcasts. I'm always hearing, you know, best in class strategies that other companies are implementing. I always keep a pad of paper whenever I'm listening to the podcast. And I always find myself jotting down some really great takeaways. So thanks for that. Well, thanks, Jeff. I'm, I'm glad you're a, you're a fan and a listener. And, and uh, I appreciate that. Ron, you grew up with dyslexia, ADHD, and without a father figure in the picture. I've noticed that a lot of my very successful guests, they also grew up with one challenge or another, or they found themselves in a situation that it just wasn't a fit for them. Have you seen common themes or common traits pop up between guests of your podcast? Uh, a good question. I, you know, we have such a broad variety, but I would say one of the most common themes are because because a lot of our guests are employees, right? They're C-suites from from large companies. And what I think has been common is been mistreated. They've been mistreated. They were under a passive aggressive boss that wouldn't allow them that, you know, that just treated them like a number. And they were there to get a coffee and said, I'm going to make a difference, not on my watch, you know, maybe today, but I'm going to have an impact on someone tomorrow. So this doesn't happen no different than, you know, someone like me who grows up without a father that says, I now get to change the story, right? Someone's sure. not going to go through that. My kids aren't going to go through not having a father. So I get to really lean into something that impacted my childhood. Okay, let's change the story now. So we're coming up to one of my favorite parts of the podcast, where we get to learn just a bit more about what makes Ron love it tick. It's when we ask you what your favorite things are. Ron, you ready for this? Yeah, go for it. Okay, Ron, what is your favorite tool to help get work done? Oh, tool. Um, I'm just going to say simple process, like that decision-making process. I call that a tool or system. It's not a, it's not a, a, a tangible, you, you can't hold it, but it's a decision-making process. That to me is one of the most powerful things we've done and continue to do. Ask yourself those three questions. That solves 80% of the problems and allows you to innovate, et cetera. Okay, Ron, when you are looking to innovate, what is your favorite resource to go to for industry information? <clears throat> so I'm not, I'm unorthodox in that too. Uh, um, I don't, I don't have one. Um, you know, I, I, sorry, that's not true. If I had to pick one resource, it's Harbor Business Review. Um, but other than that, it's individuals. So if I have a question, if I'm curious, I think who is the best person? And by the way, I might not have that best person's contact on my phone. Maybe that's outside of my network, but I'm going to go talk to them. And I'm awesome. like a dog with a bone. Love it. Dog with a bone. Ron, what's your favorite music album of all time? Oh, 
so bad because I'm dyslexic, so I'm not going to know any albums. Um, uh, <laughs> Favorite artist? Yeah. Um, this is so bad. My favorite music art, this changes so much, like with the wind, but right now I need my phone to see who I love. Um, I love Spanish music. So I love Carlos Vives, actually, oh. Colombia. I love him. But I also love, and I'm just forgetting the name, uh, Love One Republic and James Bay there. Oh, awesome. That's, I wouldn't know any of those names if I didn't check my phone. It's just my, my brain goes blank. What was your favorite toy as a kid? Favorite toy uh, was globes and anything to do with the world. And I continue to love that stuff. Awesome. And last question, what's your favorite piece of advice that you give to somebody who's just starting out in their career? Uh, you know, to just starting out. Um, you know, the newest advice I've been giving to young individuals is zip it. And it sounds aggressive, but what I mean is when we're young, we're insecure and we're trying to prove our worth. And so unfortunately, when we call mentors and, and advisors, we're into this, like, you know, I ask you a question and I already really have my answer. And, and, and maybe what you've suggested is against what I'm thinking. So I have to defend it. We just need to shut up. I wish I would have shut up and just listened. I think that if you go into a conversation with a curious mindset, just really curious, looking for one nugget. And, and, and think about it as you're in the back of the class. And if you wanna speak, you have to raise your hand. And I think those things are helpful, but it's just to absorb information and get super curious. So super curious means like you hear in the podcast, Jeff, sorry, can you clarify that for me? I didn't quite understand. Now I'm curious. That is, you're allowed to interrupt with curiosity. That is okay. People will allow for that. Uh, and they enjoy it because they know that you're listening and that you're really listening. And I always say this, smart people ask great questions, but really smart people ask the best questions. And so ask the smartest questions. Well, let me ask you one question about asking questions. Did you sit in the front of the class or the back of the class. You know, it's funny. I'm always in the front. That's very interesting. I should probably talk about that more. Always in the back, now always in the front. That's very interesting because I am very interruptive now from a curiosity standpoint. That's funny. I've never thought about that. Thanks, Jeff. Well, you're welcome. So, Ron, where can the listeners reach you? Yeah, so so um, obviously the podcast, Scaling Culture Podcast, um, ronlovett.ca. There's a, a personal website there that, that has information. I do some speaking mostly on people and culture um outrageous empowerment you can buy off amazon and linkedin i mean you know a lot of content on linkedin you'll see a lot of things on the two lanes are culture maybe some leadership things but um and and then uh, vita puts out a lot of culture which is you know which is a business to create you know affordable safe clean places that people are proud to live and help them get ahead well talking about helping people get ahead is there anything impactful that you'd like to talk about that we haven't covered today well, the last thing I'll say too, fine, Jeff, is that, and we talk about a lot in, in the podcast and in the book, is everything is by default or design. So when I talk about being the old leader whose phone rang 24 hours a day, that was by default, right? Until I stopped and designed a new way forward, a new path forward to get to the core issue. The core issue was me. Until I could fix that, my phone would continue to ring. And so now I'm, I'm, I design my home life. 
I design my work. I, and so I use the same strategies at home. How much time do my wife and I spend every quarter? How much time do I spend with my children? Do I take them away on solo trips every 60 days? Both every 90 days. I mean, a very purposeful, and it doesn't, doesn't work out 100% of the time, but if I have guide, a guided strategy, I'm usually doing pretty well, and, and the outcomes are much better. Well, Ron, I've got tons of notes that I've jotted down here to take away with me, and I was certainly pleased I got to use one of your favorite questions on you and really uncover a ton of our own aha moments today. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Great. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. And this is the part of the podcast where I thank everyone for listening in. I know it's tough to find time to carve out for thought leadership, and I appreciate you, the listener, for making the time for us. Anything we can do to help ourselves get better at something is time well spent. On our next episode, we'll be talking with more HR experts about today's most important HR issues. I'm Jeff Livingston. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy, and be kind. We'll see you soon on our next episode of ADP's Insights at Work.